Hi, I'm Brett Johnson, former United States Most Wanted cyber criminal. Now, good guy. Or as the United States Secret Service called me, the original Internet Godfather. Now, how do you get that title? 39 felonies, a place on the United States Most Wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built and ran the first organized cybercrime community. It was called Shadow Crew. It was a precursor of today's darknet and darknet markets. It laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels operate today. Those 39 felonies, well, they had to do with refining modern financial cybercrime as we now know it. Credit card fraud, phishing schemes, tax return, identity theft, stimulus fraud, synthetic fraud, refund fraud, you name it. I was on the ground floor of developing most of it. Now, of course, I went to prison, deservedly so. Now, there's a whole story behind all that, but we don't have time for that right now. Why? Well, because today it's time for the Brett Johnson Show. Today's episode, follow up from the Lex Fridman Show when we come back. All right, and we are back to the Brett Johnson Show. Today's episode, follow up from the Lex Fridman Show. For those who don't know, I was recently on the Lex Fridman Show, episode 272. It's already been viewed. Geez, I think it's only been out like two to three days. It's already been viewed over 400,000 times. I have received a ton of feedback, positive feedback. I, of course, <laughs> of course, there's been some negative feedback too. And I just wanted to come in because some people had asked some questions on the YouTube comments section. They had made some comments as well. I've had a lot of people that have reached out to me asking questions, asking advice, things like that. So I figured today we would come in and just talk about some of the comments, answer some of the questions that were posed on the thread or that have been sent to me as well. And then we could go from there. Sort of a different episode. And, and one of the things that has happened is because of my appearance on the Lex Fridman Show, my views on my LinkedIn profile, on my Twitter feeds, and of course on my YouTube channel, The Brett Johnson Show, they those have risen dramatically. So, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I truly am. Uh, so I just thought I would come in and comment on that. I, I guess the first thing to talk about is appearing on the Lex Fridman Show. Uh, Lex reached out to me. I, I, I ended up driving to Austin. I could have taken a flight, but I drove to Austin because I like to take these road trips. Um, it's really, when I was in prison, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was walking the track. So when you, when you enter a proper prison, especially federal, I don't know if it's in state or not. I guess it probably is, but I only served federal time. But when you're when you're in prison, they have a walking track and, um, you know, you walk counterclockwise and and I would get out there for hours a day and just walk the track. I'd have uh, I'd have a set of headphones and music, usually NPR playing, and I would walk the track and I would just think about things, you know, consider uh, my life's choices, what had brought me to prison. Of course, those choices again and um, all the mistakes that I had made. I would just spend hours a day doing that. And I, I really think that's one of the benefits of being in prison is you're given a lot of time to think and consider your life choices, the mistakes you've made and how things might have played differently and how you might do things differently when you're released. So today I don't have that ability to walk those hours each day because I work for a living. I no longer steal for a living. I no longer harm people. I look to help people. And a lot of my day is spent talking to companies, talking to consumers, giving advice on how to protect people and, and companies from identity theft, cyber attacks, things like that. So when I have a trip, often... <clears throat> If it's not horribly far away, you know, if it's within an eight, nine hour drive, I will probably take that drive just so I can crank the music up on the car stereo, you know, Spotify. I'm a, I listen to anything from Slipknot all the way down to John Prine. I love that red Texas dirt music, too. Um, so I'll, I'll take that drive so that I can spend those hours just considering 
my life, the choices that I've made, the people that I've harmed, the uh, the way that I've turned my life around today and the assistance that I had in turning my life around. So I take these drives like that. And and Lex reached out to me and he was like, you know, I'd like to have you on the show. I didn't know who Lex Fridman was, to be honest with you. But he said, I'd like to have you on the show. Would you like to come on? And I was like, absolutely. I'd like to come on. Uh, I don't turn anyone down for interviews. I don't, I'm not that guy that does that. I don't care what the interviewer thinks of me. I don't, uh, I tell everyone on any interview that, Hey, I'm not the editor. You know, if you don't like me, whatever the slant of the story is, go ahead, you know, do you. And it's, it's worked out pretty well. I've had, I had one podcast that I, that I appeared on way back when I first got started in a legal, in this legal career of mine. I had one podcast that I appeared on where the interviewers were just at the very beginning, at the outset, they had tried to make it a hit piece. And, you know, it they tried and, you know, they were they were they were truthful, but slanted at the same time. And it, it still turned out all right. I mean, I I thanked them for for having me on the show. And I was very grateful that they did because I figured that, hey, you know, you're going to have people that uh, that are negative, that don't believe you turned your life around. And I, I think that's justified. I want everyone to know that I think that's justified. This uh, I was a lifetime criminal and the the number of criminals who actually turn their lives around, unfortunately, are very small. You know, it's uh, I, I got to tell you guys that. If you if you know anybody that that has committed a crime that's served prison time anything else like that, uh, I served right at seven years total. When I got out, I did not want to commit crime, and it's not just me. When most people are released from prison, they don't want to commit crime. They really think that they're going to live a legitimate, proper life. But the problem is, is that you're released from prison with the exact same tools with which you enter, all right? And that being said, unless you have a lot of help from people that you've probably hurt all your life, you are not going to be able to turn your life around. Just because you want to turn your life around doesn't mean you can't. You know, that you have to make that active choice to do it, but you have to have a lot of help from a lot of people to be able to do that as well. And I think that... Um, you know, I had a lot of help. I did. I had a lot of help. I had the uh, the assistance of the FBI. I had my wife. I had my sister. I had all these industry people from cybersecurity and from anti-fraud that also helped me and gave me that opportunity to turn my life around. So I, I'm adamant about letting everyone know that, that I really believe that if I hadn't had that assistance, that I would be back in prison for about 20 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just wanted people to know that. So I appeared on the Lex Fridman show. We talked for geez. I, you know, I didn't know how long the interview was going to go. I really didn't. I had never watched an episode of his. I had looked at some of the people that he had interviewed, but I had I had never watched an episode. So I didn't know how long the interview was going to be. We talked for over three and a half hours. The published interview, as far as I can tell, nothing was really cut from it at all. So I was very thankful to, uh, to Mr. Fridman. He had actually offered to, uh, to pay my travel to, uh, to come down, stay at the hotel and everything. And when I got through talking with the man, he offered, to, he, he was like, what's your Venmo? Let me get your PayPal and I'll, I'll send you, you know, whatever you spent to come down. I, I looked at him, I was like, no, I don't want that. And, and the reason I said no is as I was doing the interview with him, I, I, I'm a guy that when I talk, I like to try to find new truths about myself. All right. Uh, when I started publicly speaking in public as a public, as a keynote speaker, about the third presentation, I realized that, hey, Brett, you're probably going to be doing this kind of shit for the rest of your life. Do you really want to do this? And I said to myself, I was like, yes, I do. But if I'm going to be up here doing this, it's important for me to try to find something new about myself every time I speak. And I try to do that. Anyone who's watched me give a presentation, it's really like a therapy session. And anybody who's watched the uh, 
the Lex Fridman show. Again, that's episode 272. Anyone who's watched the Lex Fridman show probably gets that same thing as well. It's it's like a therapy session for me. And that's really what I treat it as. Yeah, I talk cybercrime and cybersecurity and I, I tell people how to protect themselves. But a lot of the reason that I that I speak is so that I can work through a lot of the issues that I have. And I was certainly able to do that talking to Lex. You know, I was, uh, we, we, we spoke about, uh, I mean, I've had a lot of feedback on the YouTube thing about, oh, you were in love with the stripper. You know, she didn't love you. Well, you know what, guys? Yeah, she may not have. She may not have. All right. But that doesn't change the way that I felt about her. Okay. And maybe she did. But again, that doesn't change the way that I felt about her. Okay. And I, I want you guys to know that the, the, the really fucked up thing, and I didn't realize it until I went to prison and went through CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, that RDAP program. I didn't really realize it until I came out of that. And it, even it took a couple of years after that for it to really hit. But my addiction was committing crime. And anyone who has an addiction, the addiction comes first. You can't really love anyone when you're addicted to something. So, of course, I was addicted to crime. She was addicted to cocaine. Was there any real love there? I don't know. I don't know. I know that I put crime above that relationship. And I regret that every day. Every day. So I was talking to Lex on the show and, and this, all these emotions came out and all this truth, because in, in my presentations, I had always kind of glossed over that relationship. And it, the presentations were basically me kind of laughing and making fun of it, saying, well, I'm the, I'm the first, I'm the only, I'm, the, I'm that one guy in the world that fell in love with the first stripper that he sees. And there's truth to that. But it goes a hell of a lot deeper than that. We were we were both two damaged individuals. We were both had our had our addictions and our demons. And I don't know if there was real love there or not, but you know, it was the first time that I had really, really discussed that with anyone. So when Fridman, when Lex told me, you know, I'll pay you for your travel expenses and everything, because I was able to get that out, I told the man no. You know, I actually learned something about myself today, and it's really been worth it just to sit down and talk to you. So I didn't know when the show was going to come out, and I was, uh, let me get a, get a drink here. I didn't know when the show was going to come out. <clears throat> it actually came out as I was about to board a plane and bug out to Orlando to uh, work with Arcos. I'm chief criminal officer for Arcos Labs. And I am the industry's first chief criminal officer. Uh, what I do is I work with, these, with this company and I talk to customers, clients, I talk to anyone who will listen about how cybercrime operates. If, if a company has a problem, I can usually come in, identify what the problem is, discuss how that crime takes place, who the attackers are, and then give advice about how to secure that company against the type of criminal activity which is targeting it. I do the same thing with consumers. I'm I'm a spokesperson and ambassador for AARP. AARP does an outstanding job at protecting the most vulnerable of our society. People that I used to target when I was a criminal. So today I work very hard to try to protect businesses and consumers against the type of person that I used to be. And I take that shit seriously. All right. And I think that came through fairly well on my appearance on the Lex Fridman show. There was a lot of feedback <laughs> and, and there was a lot of emotions that I went through because of that feedback. And I'm still, hit, still hitting those emotions. You know, it's uh, the outpouring 
of people that that just thanked me for coming on, that reached out to me saying they wished me well, that we're talking about how good the uh, the show and the interview was. I was extremely grateful for that, and I and I still am. It is a uh, it is a very humbling experience for that to happen. And I'm someone who my entire life, when I was a criminal, my entire life, I had very little humility. I was very conceited. I was a pure asshole. I was. I was a pure asshole. And um, it's like every day these days, as a good guy, something happens that causes me to realize that humility inside of myself. And, and certainly this, this appearance on the Lex Fridman show is one of these things. All the outpouring, all this outpouring of just positive comments of people who have reached out to me and have thanked me for, uh, for just coming on and, and being truthful. And I've said it many times over the past few years as a legal person, I was always the guy who lied. So to be, uh, to have that type of outpouring and, and just people thanking me for, for telling the truth means a lot to me. It's very, uh, it's very humbling. So I just wanted to mention that. All right. Anyone who, who hasn't watched the show if, uh, and here's the thing on the Brett Johnson show, I'm, this is my fourth, 14th episode, my 14th episode, and I've still not given my biography on this show. I start out by saying I'm United States Most Wanted. Now I'm a good guy and Secret Service called me the original internet godfather. And I go through that spiel each episode. And I've still not given that bio. And I was about to, I was actually going to take out two episodes of this show to walk through what I walked through on the Lex Fridman show. And I'm still going to do that. But I'm not going to do it quite yet. I was going to do it. Um, I was actually going to do it this week. It was going to be episode 13 and 14. And I did not do that because of the Lex Fridman show and all the emotions that I had playing in me because that came out. That, you know, it was not just the outpouring of positive reactions and people reaching out to me that caused these, these I mean, just a flood of feelings. It was also just having that story out there on that type of platform where so many people could hear it and react to it. That was, that was something, you know, to, to, to live the life that I've led and to, uh, to be able to tell that means a lot. And I, I'm, you can probably tell right now I'm, I'm very, uh, just thinking about it, I'm, I'm very emotional right now. But we're going to weather through. <laughs> we are going to weather through. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I appeared on the show, came back. I launched the Brett Johnson show. When, when this show, when the Lex Fridman show, episode 272 again, when episode 272 appeared, I mean, it, it has, I, I, I've been getting a constant barrage of feedback and messages. I have, um, I only had on, on my YouTube channel, I only had about 160 followers, subscribers. I have not built a website for it yet. I've not put it on uh, Spotify for audio. I'm going to be doing all that this week and next. I had not even really advertised the show. I had my advertisement. I I would post a link on LinkedIn. I would post a link on Twitter, and then go from there. Um, and and the, the following was very slowly growing. But since Lex Fridman has has had me on, and it's been published his show. My Twitter account has increased substantially. My YouTube. Following subscribers has increased uh, from, from about 160. I think it's at about 700 right now. And I am, I'm thrilled beyond belief. I am. And I've gotten a lot of feedback 
I've gotten a lot of feedback from people who have listened to episodes of The Brett Johnson Show, and they've given their opinion. So I wanted to comment on that, about what The Brett Johnson Show is, um, about some of the mistakes that I've made. Uh, I've had a few comments about me being very loud on this show. And yes, <laughs> yes, I have been very loud. Uh, I think some of the feedback said, use the word screeching. You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. And, and I apologize for that. I'm going to try to fix that. I'm not, you know, I'm very toned down today. There will be points where I'm angry and it shows. There will be points where I'm loud and it shows. Some people had commented that I, I use these voices too much. You're probably right. Um, I'm going to try to calm that down as well. Now, there's a few reasons for that. The first is this show, a lot of the times with, with podcasts, the guest is what actually generates the content. So if you think about Joe Rogan, if you think about Lex Fridman, some of these other podcast hosts, the, the guest is what really generates the content of that episode. I did not really want to do that. I wanted to have a show because I am the guy that knows probably more about cybercrime and that criminal mindset than most anyone on the planet. It may sound conceited for me to say that, but it's the truth, all right? I did not want to have a show where I would simply bring someone on to provide content for my show. I wanted to provide my own content. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't have people on to interview them. I certainly will, all right? I'm, I'm working with a, uh, with a victim right now. She's a victim of Zell social engineering fraud. And I'm going to the mat. I thought I had gotten her money back from Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo declined that. So I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to the mat with her. We're going to have the press out there. We're going to do all these other things to try to get this woman, this victim, her money back. I will probably have her on this show for, you know, like a 15 to 20 minute segment to tell her story as I discuss Zell fraud and as I give advice on how people or what people, what victims need to do to help get their money back. All right. So I'm going to, I will have individuals on, but I want it, I want it clear that the people that I have on are not there to generate content for the Brett Johnson show. The people that I have on are there to, for a specific reason. I'm not going to have, have someone on just to have them on just because they're a big name, just because they can generate uh, more views for me or anything else like that. I, I want there to be a point to my having guests on. And my my opinion right now is that if I do have a guest on, that they're on for, you know, a 15 to 20 minute segment of the overall focus of that specific show. That may change. I may find someone that that I really want to have that show as a discussion. For example, I talked about on, on Fridman's show, episode 272 again. On Fridman's show, as a result of that, I had an individual reach out to me and she said that, she, that her life was very similar to mine, that, she, that her dad was the abusive parent instead of her mother. And we talked uh, on Twitter, on direct messages and everything like that. And, and I would really like to, I'm thinking about having her on to discuss that idea of child abuse, of how a child's upbringing does, does matter. Okay. I, I, I'm adamant about letting people know that my choices as an adult are mine. All right. They are. I chose when I became an adult I chose to victimize people. I chose to bring harm to people. As a child, you can't help that. As a child, you are going to do what the adults in your circle are doing because that is your norm. So I, I, I think I'll have this, I may have this individual on to discuss that idea, you know, a whole show of just that because I think it's important that people realize that, that people get a clear picture of that, that, that the way we bring up our children really, really matters. If you're not an active parent, 
there's an issue and not every parent is, is my mom. Not every parent is this individual's father, but I do believe that we need to take an active role in bringing up children. You don't just hand them a cell phone or a tablet or a gaming system or a desktop computer and let that be the babysitter. We have to be active participants in raising children. And I think it's important that we do that. So I, I, I will probably bring this person on for a whole show. But I just want people to know that that's the focus of it. Now, you know, the, I'm 14 shows in, and I've done a lot of voices. I've done this uh, kind of foghorn, leghorn type good old boy for a lot of the shows and everything like that. And, and honestly, uh, the reason for that is because the way I'm doing this show is brand new to me. It's brand new. All right. I, it's, it'd be very easy for me to go and get people to come in and I just talk to them the whole hour. But I wanted this show to be the Brett Johnson show to be something where it's, it's not only me talking about cybercrime, but me also viewers and listeners get that sense that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a recovering criminal. All right. I'm not recovered. I'm recovering. I, I, I view my criminal actions, my criminal lifestyle as an addiction. And as it being an addiction, it's not safe for me to say that I'm cured. Much like an alcoholic, you are never going to be cured. All right. That is always there. That criminal mindset's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. But I'm recovering. The longer I go without committing a crime, the chances are I will continue to not commit crime, all right? And it keeps getting better with every single day, much like an alcoholic. You go so long without drinking, the chances are you're not going to drink the longer you go. Same thing with crime. So I wanted that, that sense to be there. I wanted to come in and be able to talk about the problems with recovery, though that temptation, you know, like during the, during the pandemic, I really honestly thought that I was going to be the guy that came in and committed crime again. You know, I, the pandemic hits. I was uh, uh, I was doing all this speaking, all this consulting. I was in line to for TV and documentaries and all this other stuff. It was going to be that year, and the pandemic shuts all that down and all the work's going out. And I'm not the only one. I know a lot of people out there that that listen that they had financial hardship too, but. You probably don't have that criminal mindset sitting in the back of your head either, you know, niggling at you going, yeah, do it, do it, do it. No, you don't have that. I do. So I told my family, I was like, hey, you know, we had a powwow in the kitchen. I was like, I, the way this story ends is with me committing crime and going back to prison for 20 years because I know what my triggers are. I know that I, that, you know, if, if, if the funny thing is that my focus, I, for years, I can't even say for years. When I give a presentation, I say that status cash ideology are the reasons that cyber criminals commit crime. That's true. Now, I pawn my motivation off on it being cash. I say I'm cash focused because I stole a lot of cash. That's not really true. What's true is, is that I'm more of an ideological type guy. All right. The people who are in my circle, my tribe, I feel responsible for them. I feel that it is my job to provide. And by God, I'll provide however I have to. Okay. So that's, that's my trigger is that. And my trigger then was, you know, I'm not going to be able to provide for my family and I'm going to have to do quote unquote, whatever it takes to provide. But the interesting thing was, is I voiced that. Usually I wouldn't. Usually I would not voice it at all. I voiced it and I told everybody and anybody who would listen about my fear of going back into crime. And I had a lot of people. I had my contacts in the FBI. I had my family. I had business associates and friends. I had everybody that, that kind of took me in under their wing and, you know, constantly checking on me. Are you okay? Are you okay? At the same time, we got all of our payments postponed. Credit history, I mean, credit scores went down the drain, went broke, but we made it. We made it. And as a result, you know, now we've got things coming back online. It looks very promising. 
And I'm very proud of that. You know, I had, I had some comments on, uh, from the Lex Fridman show, I had some comments about saying that I was laughing, everything else. And I'll get to that in a second. But I, I wanted people to, to realize that. So, so this show that I'm doing, the Brett Johnson show, to me, it's, it's, it's a much more naked Brett Johnson. And I think the way that I've reacted to that is by doing this character, this voice, this good old boy thing, which I'm, it's very easy for me to fall into that. I enjoy that character. I enjoy doing voices, everything else. And I can, I can riff pretty quickly and pretty easily when I'm in that type of character mentality. All right. And it's been, it's also, it's been one of these things where it's a protective layer for me. All right. I can hide behind that and protect myself which I'm not doing today because I had a lot of people, not a lot, but I had a few comments that said, Hey, drop the voice, be yourself, blah, blah, blah. Don't be so loud. Well, I'm, there will be times that I'm loud. There will be times that I have a voice, but I promise you that I will work on just being me and getting the information out there, talking about troubles and everything else like that. Every episode is not going to be cybersecurity and cybercrime. It's not. I, I want you to understand that I'm the expert on that, <laughs> but every episode is not going to be that. It's going to be this, this journey, too, of turning my life around, of what that's like, of the, tr of the troubles in that and everything else. And there might be some other topics as well that are in there. So that's the Brett Johnson Show. For the people who have listened and, you know, you said it's too, it's too loud that I screech and everything, I apologize. I do. I also apologize that... Um, that you got more of a character than what uh, than what I should have done. There, that character will pop out sometimes. I promise he will. He will pop out sometimes. But I will uh, I will work and I will continue to grow toward being that more bare individual. Okay, because that is what you're. You guys are exactly right. That is what's important. I had back to some of these comments on the show. I had a few people that that. Like 99, I guess 99.9% .9 of all the comments are extremely, extremely positive, you know, that uh, just showing gratitude and it's very humbling. I did have a few people that, uh, well, he's laughing about committing crime. He's laughing about his victims. Well, if you will notice, I laugh through that entire show. And uh, to me, that's a defense mechanism. You know, I, I laugh about the abuse that me and my sister went through as children. Because if you don't laugh about it, by God, what are you going to do? I, I, I recorded, this is not my first podcast or my first video show. I recorded the Anglerfish podcast. It's available on Spotify. The first two to three episodes, I have my sister in for two episodes and we're talking about some of the abuse that we used to be subjected to. And I'm kind of chuckling all the way through it. Denise, my sister, is not laughing at all during that. All right. And that's that just shows the way that we ha I handled a lot of that, that that abuse and the travesty, you know, that that whole lifespan of mine. I handled that with humor, with 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 laughter, with with trying to um, I guess trying to shield myself from my childhood and from my bad actions toward others with laughter, with laughing about it. You guys are absolutely right that it's not funny. It's not, right? It's not funny that, that someone is a criminal, that they chose to harm others. It's not funny that you grew up as a child that was abused by your parents. It's not funny. But the way that I handle a lot of that is with joking about it and laughing about it. All right. I am well aware. I am well aware that there is very little humor to be found in that. But at the same time, if, if by laughing at it, it allows me to approach it and to deal with it and to talk about it. And at the end of the day, the most important thing is to talk about it. Because if you internalize that bullshit, if you don't mention it, if you don't talk about it, 
what good does that do? At least by, by yeah, I'll, I'll joke about it and I'll laugh about it, but it allows me to get it out, to verbalize it. And then later on one of these road trips on, on or on stage or when I'm on a, sh a show or talking to somebody, that's when, because I've been, I've been able to verbalize it, to get it out, that's when all this truth starts to come to me, you know, about the, the, these are your actions. This is why you did that. This is the consequences of your actions, things like that. Okay. So I want you to understand it's not that I find it funny. It's not one person made a comment that I was gleeful. I am not a gleeful son of a bitch at all. Uh, I think another person said that I was prideful. There is no pride to be found in stealing money from people. There's no pride to be found in harming individuals. There's not. Now, I am exceedingly proud of being given the opportunity of to turn my life around and taking that opportunity. I am. And I am, I am really proud of myself for not committing crime during the pandemic because any fraudster who wanted to make money could have, made a, could have stolen as much money as they possibly wanted to. So I just wanted people to understand that. I had a few comments that, uh, you know, that it was a lie, that every bit of it was a lie. It's not a lie. It's not. I, I was actually, I've never really considered how much of it is verifiable. But you know what? Yeah, I can verify every fucking bit of it. Every bit. You want you want to verify it of, of the type of childhood that I had? Well, you can talk to my siblings. You can talk to some teachers that are still alive. You can talk to members of, of the community in Hazard, Kentucky, that can verify how fucking crazy that entire side of the family was. So, yeah, you can verify that. Can you verify the stories of crime. Yes, yes, you certainly can. It's in court documents. There's a there's an episode of Colonel Panic that talks about me and has the FBI on the same episode talking about it. So all that's verifiable. Can you verify my life after after I was incarcerated and released? Absolutely, you can do that. Absolutely, every every single aspect of this can be verified. Now that now that being said. Let's be honest. A lot of people who are saying that aren't really wanting to know the truth because, you know, it's, it's easier to label somebody a sociopath or a psychopath because that allows you to distance yourself from that individual. The truth of the matter is, is that every single one of us has the capacity to commit crime. It's just what the triggers are. Every single one of us has that. And I'll grant you, my triggers are probably a lot lower than your all's. But all of us have that. So it's e But it's easier for people to, to label someone something instead of looking at that person as a human being and saying, well, yeah, I can see how that could happen. I could see how I might commit crime too. And I'm not saying you guys would. But I am saying that just throwing this shit out there and saying someone's a, a sociopath or a psychopath, I'm not saying that I'm not. I don't think I am. But, you know, I at least take in consideration that, by God, in today's world, you're probably not too many steps off from committing a crime. Would you commit a crime if someone was harming your family? I think most of us certainly friggin' would. Would you commit a crime if... You didn't have any food in the house, no way to feed your family. Would you go and shoplift food? If you wouldn't, I'm sitting here asking what the fuck's wrong with you. All right. And maybe not everyone agrees with that, but that's my perception of things. And that's the way I feel and the way I think about things. I, I think that we all have that capacity to commit crime. So I just wanted to get that out too. And again, most of the comments, I mean, 99.9% .9 of the comments are just these, these very, very good comments that, that are really humbling to me, that really caused me to just, you know, get extremely emotional. Uh, let's put the glasses on so we can go scroll through some of these. Uh, best podcasts I've ever came across. One person asked, Okay, so interesting. Uh, social engineering, knowing people's responses, what they care about, and knowing how they exploit their interest, it can be useful if used constructively or manipulative if misused. 
fascinating study. I'm so glad you became of value to the U.S. government in helping catch other cyber criminals. You're responsible for what you do as a grown-up. Sorry that your childhood was so hard. Well, you know, I am too, but it's just one of those things. Social engineering. Uh, there's a few comments about that, about the manipulative um, nature of social engineering, and it is. Social engineering, proper social engineering, is about convincing someone or manipulating someone into doing what you want them to do willingly. And hopefully they don't even know that they've been socially engineered. Or if they do, they only realize it after you as the social engineer have gotten what you want, which if it's cybercrime is information, access, data, or cash. All right. So you manipulate that person. To do that, you really have to know that person within a matter of seconds. You have to be able to talk to that person, gauge what that person's potential triggers are, and manipulate that person. So how do you do that? I mean, certainly you can tell by talking to a lot of people, if they're in a job position, are they new at the job? You can tell. There's a, you know, you can come in, you can see if someone's, if it's their first day at work, or if they've been there for 20 years. And that will help determine how you try to manipulate that individual. Same thing if you're if you're doing fraud, phone fraud, if I pick up the phone and I'm spoofing, say, the Internal Revenue Service's phone number, and I get someone on the other end of the line, a potential victim on the other end of the line, I know simply by them picking up and the way they answer the phone in that first couple of lines of dialogue between us, I know if that person is, a, is going to be easy to manipulate or not, all right? And here's why. So when you're looking at scamming someone, you have to develop a trust with that potential victim. So how do you develop, develop trust with a potential victim? You do it with a combination of technology, tools, and social engineering. I talked about this before, I think on Lex Fridman's show. So technology, we trust our cell phones. We trust our desktops or laptop computers. We don't understand it a lot of the time, but we still inherently trust those devices. We trust the news that comes across. We trust the phone numbers that show up on screen. We trust all the information. We trust our lives to these devices to tell us when to go to meetings, to give us directions on how to get there, all these other things. All right. What we don't understand is that criminals use a variety of tools to manipulate that technology. They use spoofed phone calls so that instead of seeing the phone number that they're dialing from, you see the phone number of your financial institution, sheriff's office, IRS, social security administration, things like that. And then finally, once that's done, that tends to lay a base level of trust. Once that's established, then we see how good of a con man, liar, social engineer the criminal is in order to manipulate that potential victim into giving up information, access, data, or cash. So when I, if I'm social engineering someone, knowing it's technology tools and finally social engineering, the technology and tools are taking place before I even engage with that potential victim. I spoof a phone number call that potential victim, victim picks up the phone, they see on their caller ID that it's the sheriff's office. Now, they see it's the sheriff's office, they pick up hello. I know initially from that hello, the tone, the feelings behind it, how that person is receiving the phone call. All right, do they think there's a problem? Are they questioning whether it's a legitimate call, anything else like that? The next two lines of dialogue is going to tell me how much authority that that person is going to give me the criminal in manipulating them, all right? So pick up the phone. Yes, this is Detective James T. Lasky. Uh, we're calling about this problem that we've seen. It uh, looks like whatever the line is. However that person responds to that tells me how easy it's going to be for me to manipulate them. Is it going to be a hard sell or is it going to be a light sell? Is it going to be something where I can just kind of skip off the top and get what, what I need them to do? Or is it going to be something much more complicated? This is social engineering 101, by the way. <clears throat> this is how you manipulate people. Nothing to be proud of, but that's social engineering. Can social engineering be positive? It certainly can. It certainly can. Uh, during the pandemic, for example, we had a lot, a lot of social engineering going on from both sides. You had the CDC, you had the Democrats and everybody else talking about vaccination, booster shots, 
you had the CDC that was hiding information from people and, and all that was done as a way to try to manipulate people to get their vaccinations. And you had the Republicans that were talking about, well, we don't need masks, we don't need masks, we don't need masks, or whatever they were talking about. And was there truth to that? Well, yeah, there is some truth to that. All right. So there, it can be positive. It can be negative. A lot of it is going to matter about whose viewpoint it is. Is it positive or negative? Okay. And, and the actions, what you're trying to do with that individual that you're trying to manipulate. I personally, the problem is, is that Everyone is manipulated every day, every day, by the media, by the news, by TV, by our families, everything. We're manipulated every day. And we as human beings, we tend to want to trust one another. A criminal social engineer understands that, inherently understands that, and uses that to his or her advantage to manipulate that potential victim into doing what they want them to do. Okay, so that's social engineering. We can do shows galore on, on how social engineering works and everything like that. I will tell you that, that there is a huge difference between a criminal social engineer and one of these white hat social engineers. And that difference is, is the motivations are far different. The criminal social engineer is, he's, he's motivated to keep his ass out of prison. He's motivated not to get caught overall. He's motivated to try to get you to do something so he can profit by it. So he's got all these other motivations. That white hat social engineer that you see a lot of out in the world these days talking about social engineering, that white hat is not nearly as motivated. This is his job. That's what he does for a living, but he's not motivated to stay out of prison or get his ass out of trouble or anything else like that or to eat. So there's a there's a huge difference in motivations. All right. So just just understand that as we go along. And like I said, today's show is, is basically talking about some of the feedback, kind of follow up on some of the comments after the show. Someone asked what I thought about. There's been a few more than a few comments about where I talked about Ross Ulbrich. For those who don't know, Ross Ulbrich is the guy who started Silk Road, really the first successful dark web marketplace. Now, I started Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew is a forerunner, a precursor of today's dark net and dark net markets. And what Shadow Crew did was it provided a trust mechanism for criminals to use because criminals have to be able to trust each other. If you can't trust your criminal associates or who you're buying from or anything else like that, you are not going to do business with them. Shadow Crew provided that mechanism that now allows all these criminal networks, websites, and marketplaces to operate. It's still used today. Ross Ulbrich was the gentleman who started the first successful dark web marketplace. And he's also the gentleman that is widely responsible for cryptocurrency as we know it today. So Satoshi Nakamoto invents Bitcoin. Bitcoin would not have went anywhere had it not been for Ross Ulbrich. Ross Ulbrich starts a dark web marketplace, basically a drug marketplace. And the only form of payment he accepted was Bitcoin. And that, not the blockchain, but that Ross Ulbrich is the man who's responsible ultimately for Bitcoin now being at what, 47,000 plus today, something like that. So Ross Ulbrich is that guy. Now, Ross Ulbrich is arrested at the public library in San Francisco. They confiscated, I think at that point in time, it was $22, $23 million worth of Bitcoin. Today's value is close to a billion dollars, if not over. I think it's over a billion dollars today is what it would be valued at. So they got him. He was he was motivated by ideology. He thought that he was going to change the world. He thought he was going to change the world by running a drug website. Did he change the world? Maybe. Maybe. He's certainly the man that's responsible for, ultimately, he's the genesis of the rise of cryptocurrency. And we will see how that plays out. Certainly, it looks like it is changing the world. If we can get everything ironed out, if we can stop all the scams that surround it, all the crime that's involved and that circulates around crypto. So there's there's certainly big issues with crypto. And we'll see if ultimately Ross did change the world with what he did with Silk Road. I made comments on Lex's show because Ross at one point 
He's running Silk Road. Now, here's the thing, because I ran Shadowcrew, and I know what this shit's like. The Shadow Crew, those members were my tribe. And I would go to the mat to protect my tribe, my family. That was basically my family at that point in time. It's no doubt that Ross felt the exact same, that the people who did business on Silk Road, those were his tribe members, and he would do whatever it took to protect them. The reason I say that is because Ross Ulbrich evidently, not even evidently, Ross Ulbrich tried to hire hitmen to take out people who were threatening him. Now, there's been there were some people who commented that, oh, that didn't happen. Well, yeah, by God, it happened. You like it or not, it happened. Let's let's at least agree to be truthful about things. All right. It happened. I think the reason it happened is because he felt the the necessity of protecting his tribe. Okay. Now he got, he was not charged with that. I think it was probably used as relevant conduct. I'm sure someone can chime in and tell me whether it was. Now, relevant conduct, what that means is, is that you're not charged with it, but at sentencing, the judge can consider it in order to give you your prison sentence. So it was probably used as relevant conduct. While he was not charged for it, it still matters when the time is given to the guy. He was given not one, but two life sentences. My thought on that, for years, for years, I have thought that Ross Ulbrich deserved that life sentence, okay? I no longer believe that. Ah, see, it, it's okay to change your opinion, to change your mind about things. If, if you are, you know, you, if you're faced with a different point of view, and someone talks to you or you get new evidence in or anything else like that, and you change your mind, you are allowed to change your mind. It seems like in today's world that you once you have an opinion, you can't change your opinion. Yes, by God, you can change your opinion. And I'm of the opinion that Ross Ulbrich does not deserve life in prison. He doesn't. He ran a dark web marketplace. He sold a shitload of drugs. This is before fentanyl really came into play. He sold a shitload of drugs. Most of those drugs was marijuana, maybe some ecstasy. Certainly, there were the harder drugs like meth and cocaine and heroin and things like that. But most of the drugs sold were, were marijuana. As a matter of fact, most of the drugs sold today on dark web drug marketplaces, marijuana. People just want to get high. Maybe marijuana, maybe some ecstasy, shit like that. Yeah, the harder ones are there, but most of the sellers are just wanting to get a little high on pot. Did, do I think that Ross Ulbrich deserved life in prison? No, I do not. Now, he's already beaten one of the life sentences. Do I think that he will beat the other one? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I am hopeful that at some point his case is reconsidered or the sentencing guidelines change and the man can get his ass out of prison and live his life. All right. I think he did a lot of harm. I do. He broke the law. Anybody that wants to disagree with that, get fucked. He broke the law and he deserves some prison time. I don't think he deserves life in prison. I think he's, I don't know how many years he's been in now. It's uh, 2022. Jeez, I think that, I got to tell you, I think maybe 10 years is, I don't think he's served 10 quite yet, but uh, I think it's about time he, he gets cut loose. All right. I think he's, I think he's, He's served enough time. The message has been sent. But I'm just one guy that's saying that. I just wanted people to know what I thought about that. I had someone ask me about Ed Snowden. Comrade Snowden. That should right there tell you exactly what I think about Edward Snowden. I think that Edward Snowden is a pure piece of shit. All right. Was he right about what he said? Yes, he was right about what he said. All right. Did anyone care about it? No. No one in the United States really gave a shit. We in the United States have historically not cared about privacy. We've not cared that the government spies on us. Ed Snowden, he steals all this data. If anyone wants to know how much data, how much information he stole, he stole enough information that if it were printed out, it would fill the back of a dump truck. So this bullshit that he tried to, tried to sell everybody that, oh, yeah, 
I, I made sure that all the data that I stole, none of it was dangerous. He's full of shit. He, do, he doesn't know everything that he stole. He just stole everything that he could. And then what did he do? He ran to Russia, where he now, if anyone doesn't aware of it by now, you should know that he is all Vladimir the Impaler Putin's pet. There's a reason that he's not talking about the Ukraine right now. And that's because he knows if he says anything negative about Russia right now, his ass is going to be out in Siberia or whatever they do with him right now. I do not respect. I do not like Edward Snowden. I think that he is a worthless, worthless human being. And that's coming from a guy who used to be a criminal that's saying that. Bradley Manning. I respect Bradley Manning far more than I do Edward Snowden, because at least Brad Manning, now Chelsea, at least Brad Manning had the courage to stick around and stand up for what he believed was right. Now she, all right? But he believed in that. He believed it enough to sit there and take the consequences. Edward Snowden ran like a dog because he knew, first, I don't think he believed what he was doing at all. I think he just wanted to raise some hell. All right. And he's profited by it every single day since that point. So, no, I don't like the guy. I don't like him at all. I, I respect Manning far, far more than I do Edward Snowden. And I don't even support what Manning did. There were channels that both individuals could have went through to blow the whistle on things. And they chose not to. All right. But I, I respect Manning far more, far, far more than I do Edward Snowden, Julian Assange. While we're on the point of all this shit, what do I think about Julian Assange? I think he needs to get his ass over here and have his day in court. That's what I think. I've actually talked to Julian Assange before. He's an extremely, my God, he's an extremely brilliant man. I mean, he truly is. Um, I've had the opportunity and the, the, somewhat the pleasure of talking with him before, and I found him to be a very very intelligent man. I also thought that he had a lot of cognitive dissonance going around because he was he was in the embassy at that point in time overseas and he the Ecuadorian embassy, he was over there and the cognitive dissonance came in in that he was saying that it was the same as being locked up in prison. No, it wasn't. He chose to hide out in the embassy and he had a very nice apartment in there. He had cats that some people say that he was abusing. I don't believe that bullshit for a second. But it was not the same as prison at all. At all. I think that he needs to get his ass over here, have his day in court. And if he is truthfully a journalist, that he will be cut loose. The problem is, is I think everyone knows that he wasn't just a journalist. I, that the evidence from what I've seen points to him assisting and conspiring with Manning to steal that data. That is not journalism. Sorry, it's not. That is espionage. So there's a difference. All right. But I, I respect out of all those individuals, Assange, Snowden, and Manning, I respect Manning more than any of them because Manning had the courage and the guts to stand up for what he believed, he at the time believed was right. And I respect that. I may not agree with your actions, but I respect you that you were man enough, man enough at the time to stand up for what you believed in. And now you're Chelsea, is, is Chelsea Manning now? And I respect Chelsea Manning for everything that she decided to stand up for at that point in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what I think about that. Let's move right along since we're, uh, since we're talking about some more of this stuff. Let me put on my glasses. We'll Scroll through. Let me let me read you this this message that I got on Twitter from this uh, this young man that is taking. He's going into uh, cybersecurity now, or, or computer science is what he's going through. Actually, he's not on Twitter. He's on uh, he's on my uh, email. So give me just a second. Let me pull this up. Do 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 do. I know. I should have already had it done. You should have already had this done, Brett. I didn't know I was going to do all this. All right. Let's see where. There we go. Look this up because I want to read this to you. It's, it's very, uh, 
it's very interesting what uh, what this young man sent me. So he sent me, um, I won't tell you his name because he may not want it out there. All right, but I'll read you his email. He says, uh, Dear Mr. Johnson, my name is Blah, and I'm 21 years old, and I wanted to thank you for the interview you gave on the Lex Fridman podcast. When I was 14, I became a criminal hacker. I stopped when I was 16 because I saw the damage I was doing to people. And for the last six years, I've been doing nothing but trying to redeem myself and turn my life around because of the things I am truly haunted by. <clears throat> On the podcast, you talked about how being a cyber criminal is an addiction that most is an addiction that a person will go to any lengths to fulfill, even if it meant hurting the ones they love. I cried when listening to your story, even though the things I did were on a much smaller scale. I could relate to it for a lot of reasons. I am now going to college for a certification in cybersecurity, and I'm trying to become a pen tester so I can hack things legally and actually help people instead of hurting them. Thank you so much for telling your story. It really meant a lot. So I've been talking to this young man, and the, the young man, I mean, he's got a, a lot of guilt about the crimes he committed, the harm that he caused. And I was talking to him last night by text message. I, I sent him my phone number. I told him, uh, you know, I'll help you any way that I can. Once you get your certification, I, I know a lot of people these days. I'll see if I can help you with the employment if you need some of that, everything else. And I told him if he needs anything, if he needs anything, to not hesitate to reach out to me, that I'm more than happy to try to help him, talk to him. He can rant, he can bitch. If he just wants to talk to somebody, hey, man, I'm here. So I sent him my phone number. He texted me last night. We're sitting there talking. And he was talking about the guilt that he felt. No, we were texting. He was texting about the guilt that he felt. And I was like, look, man, I said, uh, you really need to forgive yourself for what happened. You were a child. You were a child when you did this. And it was a mistake. You made a bad choice, but you've learned from that. And look what the, the positive things that you're doing now. And he sent me a message back. He's like, have you forgiven yourself? And uh, the answer I gave him was no. No, I've not. And I don't think I will. I think it would be nice to, but I don't think I have the capacity to forgive myself for a lot of the harm that I've done in this world. So I told him that. And, you know, that was... We talked a little bit more, but that was kind of the end of the conversation. And it, it hits me. I mean, it's easy to say these things. You know, you need to forgive yourself. It's very easy to say it or to tell someone else that. But it's very hard, very difficult sometimes to do it. I don't know why I shared that with you, but I just wanted to share that because I got more than just this young man reaching out to me. I got a lot of people with the same, with the same type of response. You know, I uh, made bad choices and, and went from there. And and one of the things that that popped up on the feedback was the 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 amount of harm that I've caused people, and I have. I that's that's what I wanted to talk about. I'm sorry, but one of the people responded saying that they took exception to me saying that while I had regrets, that I would not change anything, that I would still do the exact same thing over. And the reason I said that, I talked about it on Lex's show, the reason I said that is because I like the person that I am. And it's true, but it goes a little bit farther than that. At the same time, I know, this is also for the people who talked about Jesus on the, uh, on the threads, I wish that I could have the faith in God that other people do, okay? I truly wish I did. It's not that I, that I tried to deny it. It's not that I don't want it. I wish that I had that ability to have faith in God and that I can believe in that, all right? It's not something that I've tried to deny or anything else like that. I wish I did. And it's weird with me because I said, and it feeds into, it feeds into 
this idea that I wouldn't change anything because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am exactly where I am supposed to be at this point in my life. I know beyond any doubt whatsoever that I am doing exactly what I am supposed to be doing with my life. All right. And that's a result. That's a direct result of every single thing that has been done to me or that I have done to someone else throughout the course of my life. I have no, I have no doubt of that. I, I truly know that I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I, I do like me these days. I feel guilt every single day. I'm, I'm often emotional, but I like who I am. I like who I'm becoming every day. And I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do every day. Now, does that mean that I don't regret hurting people, stealing from people? I do every single day, but I, I would be dishonest if I said that I would change my actions because I, I truly believe that I am where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I think it's been a fucked up journey, but I fully believe that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I just wanted to share that. What else are we going to talk about? Today? I think that may be, it's more than just pollen. <laughs> <laughs> You'll notice I've not done any voices today either. I don't think I've really yelled either. So um, we've got all this. Self-awareness, yes, I think I'm pretty damn self-aware. At least I strive to be. Um, I think that that is, that's the crux, the, 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 the majority of the comments. As I said, most of the comments that were made were very, very positive, And I really appreciate everyone that... Uh, that gave me nothing but that gave me nothing but support for uh, for me talking to Lex. I truly appreciate it. Um, that being said, I think we're going to close out the show. I mean, I, we could go, we could keep going on a little while longer. We we could certainly keep going on a little while longer, but I don't think there's much need for that. I've explained what the show is. I've uh, you know. I've, about calming down about some of the reasons that it was this big verbose character about, uh, you know, the first 13 episodes of the Brett Johnson show. And not every episode is going to be this toned down thing that you're hearing now. You know, there'll be times that I get loud, that I, I'll do voices that I'll joke around and everything else. But I don't think that this was really the episode to do this. I wanted to uh, just come in and, to, and explain some things, answer some questions as well. Go from there. Um, as far as Eastern Kentucky, I've had a few comments from people from Eastern Kentucky. Let me say this. I went a good portion of my life not being proud of being from Eastern Kentucky. But I will tell you today that there is no place else on the planet that I would rather be from than Eastern Kentucky. I am extremely proud of my heritage. I am proud of being born there. I am proud to say I am an Eastern Kentuckian, not a Kentuckian, an Eastern Kentuckian. And people who are from the area, by God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, we are a hearty lot. We're a proud lot. We work hard and we uh, we look after each other. So I just wanted to say that. That being said, I'm Brett Johnson. What do we say as we close out? We say stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant. Stay safe, stay secure, stay vigilant. Above everything else, though, this is the Brett Johnson Show. At the end of the day, just do the right damn thing. Until next time, I'm Brett Johnson. Thank you for listening.